in a garden, growth has its season. First comes spring and summer, but then we have fall and winter. And then we get spring and summer again. Spring and summer? Yes. <clears throat> then fall and winter? Yes. I think what our insightful young friend is saying is that we welcome the inevitable seasons of nature, but we're upset by the seasons of our economy. Yes, there will be growth in the spring. Hmm. 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 <laughs> well, Mr. Garner, I must admit that is one of the most refreshing and optimistic statements I've heard in a very, very long time. wonderful book a thousand and one movies you must see before you die discuss it analyze it and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book my name is adam st john and my name is ian woodington and today uh barring some some scheduling issues we are recording in the lovely confines of, of ian's apartment thank you for having us today oh no it's my pleasure and and next week and, and the week after technically yeah um, so before we get to talking about uh, a wonderful film called Being There, we're going to bring you some some recommendations. I have no idea who's going first. Uh, I'll go first. Okay, what do you got for us? So I have a little Nick Hornby adaptation, which just dropped on Hulu and Prime. So they're available on both. It's oh. Juliet Naked. Um, based on one of his books, it's about uh, this couple living in a little seaside British town. She runs a museum that uh, was left to her by her dad, and it kind of is the thing that anchors her to the town. She's played by Rose Byrne. And oh, then, uh, yeah. And, She's great. And her fellow's played by Chris O'Dowd. Who, oh, okay, great. Yeah, and he's he's fantastic in this. Uh, well, they both are. The whole cast is great. Um, just to, to cut a long story short, if High Fidelity had not been made, I think this would be the best and probably most faithful uh, Nick Hornby adaptation. Uh, I know Liz took a few issues with it because it is her favorite Hornby book, so oh, she okay. was definitely on the yeah. she was on the defensive sure. as soon as it started. But uh, the whole point of it, so Chris O'Dowd's character is obsessed with this um, indie rock artist uh, named Tucker Crow, who is played by Ethan Hawke in the film, uh, coming right off of uh, First Reformed. Okay, yeah, yeah, and uh, he is a an artist that put out one album and was on his way to, to huge stardom and popularity and then one day just disappeared into thin air. 
And so now there is this strange online cult following that's being spearheaded by the Chris O'Dowd character. And uh, one day this CD shows up on his doorstep and he's uh, he's out and about because he's a teacher and he lectures on um, TV, on television. He's made a whole course out of American television and when you see him teaching, he's, he's talking about... Um, Greek mythology as it compares to the characters in The Wire, which is, I, I mean, <laughs> it's super pretentious, and it like it kind of just works. It's really good, especially for any fans of The Wire, you'll get a huge kick out of it, yeah. just how far he goes to try and put the pieces together. I love it. And uh, this, this CD shows up, and she opens it, and it is Juliet Naked. So it is all the demos and acoustic versions of all these Tucker Crow songs from his album Juliet, which is based on his relationship with a with a former girlfriend named Julie. And she listens to it, and he catches her listening to it, and of course it's a huge fight, which essentially kind of ends their relationship. Uh, and she winds him up even further by going onto his forums and posting a scathing review about it, even though he's hailing it as this masterpiece, even though it's the stripped-down versions Mm -hmm. of these songs. And then Tucker Crow himself responds back to her, and they start this sort of online pen pal thing, and through a series of events, uh, he ends up coming to the UK because he's got multiple children from multiple relationships. One of them lives uh, in the UK, and she's pregnant, and so he's coming out there uh, you know, to meet the father and meet the new baby. Um, and they agree to meet up and things, of course, don't go well. He has a heart attack, like, as he gets into the country and he, man- he like, gets himself to a hospital and has a heart attack there in the hospital. It's it's it's, it's actually kind of funny the way it happens. And then, um, again, through another series of events, she he ends up coming back to the seaside town with her to kind of rest and recuperate and get to know her a little better. And, of course he's going to run into the Chris O'Dowd character. Yeah. I mean, as I said, I mean, I think it's a, a wonderful adaptation. Uh, very, very funny, very poignant. It's got some very, uh, some very dark moments in it dealing with family and responsibility and fatherhood. And of course, Ethan Hawke just nails it. Yeah. Absolutely nails it. So as I said, it's available both on Prime and on Hulu That's as sweet. of this recording. I really like it. It's a short watch, like 90 some odd minutes, but right. it's uh, it packs a lot in. To Great. 90 minutes. Awesome. So, uh, so I, I don't know why I need to feel I need to tell this, but so my wife and I don't get to go see movies in theaters very often at all. Um, and we saw two in like the last two weeks, which for us is impressive. Um, this is not my recommendation, uh, but not, it's also not a non recommendation. We saw Midsummer a couple days ago, which is just a, a mind trip. Um, just go into that. Maybe a little loaded. I don't know. But it, it is just a bizarre movie. Well, you know it's right up my alley because I love those kind of culty yeah. films that deal with not necessarily the occult, but of it's, those kind of paganistic yes. religions. You know how big a fan of the and, Wicker Man yes, I am. It's, yeah, yeah. it's right up that it's right up that alley. But so we, we, had, we had a little family vacation recently to the water slides that went very poorly. Um, our oldest did not like it and it was kind of a, 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 a wasted trip up there. So uh, we kind of tried to smooth things over by going to see my recommendation, which is Toy Story 4. And this will pertain probably to a different episode later when we actually get to a Pixar film and talk about them. But I wasn't excited for this movie. It, well, it, it seems like it's the sequel that nobody really asked for. I mean, because yeah. if you look at Toy Story, even though I have my reservations about two, yeah. you could argue that Toy Story is one of the 
best trilogies of all time. Yeah. But I we went in, we went to go see it and I was surprisingly moved by it. And 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 it's it's a well enough known movie so I'm not going to say much but Obviously, it's the continuation of Woody and Buzz and all of them. Um, they're now with their their new owner. So she's starting school, which, of course, already is triggering stuff for me and my wife because our, our oldest is going to start kindergarten in the fall, and that's what she's doing in the movie. And she makes this this character out of a spork and pipe cleaners and it was called Forky, and Forky is convinced that he's trash. And um, Woody is there to basically keep him around because, A... He's the important toy right now, Forky. But B, Woody's been shunned to the side. That's we get that kind of immediately in the movie. Yeah, he's no longer the toy that that runs the room. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the little girl's very much more in, involved with Jesse. She's you know, and 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 I think that's a great message too. That you know, the little girl has this this cowgirl to look up to, and versus just having the cowboy. And and it all it's all great. And so the the the, the girl's family. They're going to go on this vacation, and she packs up the toys, but Forky gets lost. He, he convinces – he's convinced that he's trash, and uh, it's David Cross, right, who does – who's Forky. No, it's uh, Tony Hale. Oh, to- that's – sorry, that's where I, I Again, still in that Arrested yes, Development world. Yes, that's what threw me off. Um, and so Woody basically sacrifices himself to go find him, and then we get Bo Peep who comes back, and um, – we, and what the, the, the evolution of her character is wonderful. Yeah, she's, yes. Yeah, what she does is, is fantastic. Yes. Annie Potts, yes. who voices her, she's the heart and soul oh, yeah. of the film. Um, and, and, you know, and then Key and Peele, I think, has some nice scene stealing moments oh, in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Their relationship with Buzz, which I felt, I kind of felt bad for, for Buzz. He feels a little he's shoved not, to the side he, in this. He he's definitely not a main character in this at um, all. Oh, I absolutely agree. I, and I feel like he's only there, spoiler warning, to have the moment at the end with Woody. Yeah. That, I, I feel like that's the only reason Buzz is there. We're trying to get to that. I think that so, mo- too. That cathartic um, moment between the two of them. But, you know, and it's, it's. I still think it's really good. Um, You know, it's one of those, <clears throat> excuse me, one of those movies where uh, the villain has their reason for being the villain. But this is one where you empathize so much with yeah, the, she, the you, doll. It's so hard to call her a villain. Yeah. And, I, oh, I mean, she's a villain for a while until, of course, you get the backstory and you get what she's doing. And I, there were moments in that movie where I straight up was, was tearing up. And, and well, I Well, from the, from the, it's manipulative from the very beginning, the whole sh- sequence with RC. Sure. But it's, it's, the one thing that I think got me the most, I guess I'll say spoiler, but I'm not going to say anything specific about the movie, but every every one of the three Toy Stories ends basically on the same image, which is that the the skyline with the clouds, because it also matches what was in Andy's room, that was his wallpaper, was that. And so basically every time the movie ends, it kind of pans up and we've got that thing. And so the way they chose to end this one, on the night sky with the moon and everything, for me... And maybe I could totally be wrong, but for me, that really did spell like, no, no, no. We know this is the last chapter of, of the movie. And I don't know. I, it's it's good. It's good for adults. It's good for kids. Well, I, I texted you right after we saw yeah, it to talk you to you about. I, I love it's it's in the same way that Train Spotting Two, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and even to a lesser extent the the fourth um, Matt Damon Jason Bourne film. It's a sequel I didn't know I needed. Sure. You know what I mean? And I love what it says about personal responsibility and about self-worth especially and yeah. your your place in the world i mean it says it's 
And I think what I'd, I'd said to you was that when they did Inside Out, they started down this very mature path. Mm-hmm. And I think Toy Story is is the the fourth one is the next step yeah. going down that path of, no, we're really wanting to make some entertainment that's going to resonate. And even if kids don't get it now, when they go back and revisit it, they'll keep finding layers to peel back. Yeah. And and to, to see the depth of it. Yeah. I mean, you could say that. I mean, Toy Story 2 was on TV the other day, and... You know, when we saw that when we were kids, you know, we get one end of it. And even probably, see, you know, when you see it when you're in your, maybe your early 20s or when you're like a late teenager. But, you know, it came on the other day and there were things that hit differently and that resonated in a, in a different way than I know it ever had. Yeah. Just having gone through more of life. Yeah, so, and that's the power of this studio and, yeah. and what they make. I mean, I'm excited to get to a, a Toy Story episode so that we can really delve deeper into it. But yeah. Other than some of the fluff that they do, I think kind of like the Incredibles, I would put in that in that box as well as the Cars movie. The Cars ones, that yeah, does come the, to mind. But a lot of theirs, they will endure and they will go on because of how multifaceted they are and how there is there is genuinely something for every age group, and you are going to find something different every time you watch it at different stages of your life. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. Toy Story Four. Go see it. I'm sure you have because it's, you know, making buku bucks, but there it is. Now, before we delve into the meat of this episode, yes. we have a couple of follow-ups as well. So we, as we do our daily, our, our weekly recommends rather, you know, we, we, I think we try to go out of the way to see the ones that we recommend to each other. So a couple of weeks ago, I recommended Thunder Road and a little shout out for, for Jim Cummings. And if you're listening to this, thank you again for your support, Jim. We really appreciate it. Uh, but you had seen Thunder Road very recently. And I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about it. That I, I, I have. I loved it. There were so many things to like about this movie. You know, the fact that he was the writer, director, producer, and star of it. I mean, it's, it's, if, you know, if you just hear that before anything else, you could think, wow, what a pretentious thing to undertake. Like, just give up something, you know, you know, don't direct it or, or don't produce it or whatever, you know, get somebody else to be in it. That opening, whatever that is, seven to eight minutes at the, at his mom's funeral is, it's wonderful. It's very simple, but it, it it's great and well, and it, it does a wonderful job of really drawing you in, and yeah. it's got that it's got that slow push in, yep. and as things kind of start going wrong, you're like, oh Jesus, like how bad is this going to get for this? He's just trying to he's just trying to mourn and say goodbye to his mom. Like, what else can go wrong for this guy? And the fact there's somebody filming it as well. When I saw oh, that, just yeah, oh, that got under my skin so hard, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I just the the relation and his the relationships all feel great. I mean, even the ones that are very short lived, where he's talking to his daughter's teacher, that scene is great. I mean, and that's the thing is it's very... and that's that's Macon Blair, who is a, uh, a collaborator with Jeremy Solnier, who we've talked about before on the show. He's in uh, Blue Ruin, and I believe he has a small role in Green Room as okay. well. Oh, I think he did. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yep. That's right. I don't know. I I just was so. I, I, one thing, if you. I, I am such a story over substance person anyway. I don't need effects. I don't, I mean, for me, it's got to be about the story and the performances before anything else. And I mean, this is Jim Cummings movie. It, it's, I mean, he's in it. He's in everything and, and he's great in it, but I mean, he's surrounded by really good, what seemed like unknown actors. I don't really know anybody from it, but everybody seems to be doing a great job. Oh, his partner. I love yeah, the stuff with his partner yeah. and his partner's family. All yeah. of that is wonderful. It's, it's, yeah, it's, 
I mean, Ian gave a good synopsis a couple weeks ago, and so I I was basically here to say, you know, this is an official like a thousand and one by one recommendation. It's on Prime. It is more than worth your time. It's it's really good. And, and I, another super short watch. Yeah, too. it yeah. was. Um, and I think, you know, just being kind of in the performing arts to the end of this movie just made me smile so much. It was just it was a great it was a great movie. Um, and I I I. I think it might be, become something that I watch fairly regularly. It was just really good. Something now, to show. Now, as a spoiler alert, as far as the, the review where he's having the fight with his partner and then he pulls back and it's revealed that he's holding his gun. Like, he's pulled his gun. Yeah. Like, how how hard did your heart sink? Was that, like, that, for me, that was a holy shit moment. It, for me, I see, I, I didn't have that reaction. I had, I, it was more of like a double take. I'm more like, wait, what? When, like, when did that happen? And I realize that's the the point is we don't yeah. see that right away, um, because obviously we're, we're we're supposed to be in his mindset that he hasn't even realized that he's done it. But it, I I was more like in the the aftermath of it of him kind of taking off his shirt and stuff. Like it was it was the shedding of everything, not just the gun that that probably hit me harder than just seeing the gun in his hand. Yeah. Um. But but that yeah that's a turn that's a that's a huge turn that you don't really see coming. Yeah, and it well, and it's shot wonderfully, so that yes. it's not until they cut to the wide that mm-hmm. you've realized and and you the slow realization on his face of what he's done. Yeah, like this is the end of his career. Oh, I love when he's talking to him later. It's like I've, I'm sorry if I did a hate crime to you. It's, <laughs> it's just oh well, and God. because there's no there's no malice in it as well. He like he genuinely means that he's yeah. not trying to be. Yeah, no, he sarcastic wasn't. about yes, it at yeah. all. It's so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's good. It's, it's a great, it's a cool performance. A movie, yeah. Should we kiss his ass a little more, right? <laughs> I you know what though? I did it before not having seen it, but now that I have, it's 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 all worth it. I mean it's yeah. it's a great movie. It really yeah. is. Well, and then our, our other follow up is go. so on the on the funny games episode, which was two weeks ago. Yes. Yeah, this is two weeks ago. Yeah. Um I I talked at length about my I'll use the word disdain for uh, a certain filmmaker, Michael Haneke. Yes. And uh, Adam was very adamant that I go out of my way to, to find something else by his either cachet or uh, the piano teacher was another one that I, yeah. I thought about. Yeah. I, I'll i be honest. I went with cachet because I, I, I knew how much you liked that. One. And it was like 10 minutes shorter than, than piano teacher. Oh, there you go. Um, not that length always dictates my decisions, but yeah. you know, sometimes, you know, we're, we're busy people. I, oh, I hear you. We have jobs and lives and shit. <laughs> So Keshe, man, there is there is a lot to unpack with this movie that we just do not have the time to unpack. Um, I mean, I, I I liked it a lot more than Funny People. I'll I'll preface with that. Funny games. Funny funny games. Yeah. Well, I liked it a lot more than Funny People that's too. Fair, that's true too. Okay, but yeah, fine, sorry. Yeah. Excuse me. Funny games. Uh, yes. Um, the throat cut scene. Wow, that is. That's a big moment. Yeah, I like that a lot. It I really like, is. I like the backstory, but it just, um, man, it meanders. It really does. It really takes. I I like the slow build up, but I like some of the reveal with the surveillance footage and and all of that. But it's just, it feels, it feels a little unfocused, if I'm honest. And I, I I I hear what you say about the meandering. There are times where he go, he's going to see his mom and. There's a lot of it is well maybe not a lot but I remember thinking okay now what what is this leading to why is this important and well I, he's establishing the backstory yes, of the, the yeah. child that they didn't adopt yes yes um, 
but did we need to take that long to get there? I, don't I think know. is is the question that well, I and have. That's, and none, none of his movies that I've seen are too long, but I would say that's very much a a thing. Is he's he's in no rush to get to where he's he's going. If that makes any sense, you know, he's he's got a pace about the story he wants to tell, and in that it, it they all feel that a, a more um, the piano teacher they both feel kind of the same way. There's no rush to get to where they're going. But they all have moments like that that throat cutting scene in, in cachet where it's just it, it you know you, you want to be built and not this sounds awful but you want to build to something like that something like explosive like if, if we're going to go at this slow pace for a while then I need I need periodic moments of something to draw oh, yeah, me and, that, and that's why I love filmmakers like uh, Taylor Sheridan and, yeah, and cool. Jeremy Soliner because they do they, they're in no rush to tell their stories they're allowing the world and the characters to develop really at the pace that they need to so that we actually give a shit about what's happening and then they have those huge explosive moments of, of violence or, or some explosive reveal like Wind River yeah like Wind River again it gets to the point where it's like okay where are we going it's meandering a little and then bam just slaps you about the face yeah but I I, I, I will say that I, I did really like the end of Cachet I really liked that there is no sort of resolution to yeah. the videotapes like because because the because he keeps denying that he the, the videotapes are this is the the guy's son yes yeah yeah I, I i like that i just i based on based on cachet i'm i'm now more excited to see more michael haneke films than i was at the end of of funny game so it's de- yeah. it definitely did its job there as far go. as i think you wanted it to yeah yeah so there you go that's just all, a couple of little follow-ups that's all i can hope for yeah um, so now we're going to talk about just a charming, wonderful film. Um, it, it, it's uh, it's 40th anniversary yeah. of being there. Um, a film directed by Hal Ashby, written by the author of the book Jersey Kaczynski. But I feel like we need to stop there. Yeah, we we've got a few things to say about Mr. Kaczynski, or at least I do anyway. Yeah, no, I, I after doing the research, I do too. Yeah. Uh, um, so he was accused of plagiarism. On two of his novels, on two of his his better selling novels, being there being one of them, and uh, the Painted Bird, uh, which I believe was his debut novel, being the other one. Once those novels were translated uh, back into Polish, a lot of because he 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 was originally from Poland. He's yeah. a Holocaust survivor. Yep. Um. So I I mean I'm not I don't want to take anything away from that. No, uh, no, but once they were translated back into the original Polish, people were like, "Hey, man, you kind of ripped off some of these old Polish novels." Uh, for being there in particular, it's a it's a book from 1932 called "The Career of Nicodemus Dizma." Uh, a lot of apparently, I, I, and of course, not having read either of them, apparently, uh, both of those share a lot of similar themes and uh, and plot devices and things like that. Well, and I just want to take it a step further that so. Um, longtime collaborator with Hal Ashby, um, Bob Jones, who helped write uh, Coming Home and, and, and collaborated with, with him on some other movies. Well, he um, did some uncredited work on this as well. Well, so I watched a pretty extensive documentary on the Criterion, um, and it doesn't sound like he did some work. By all accounts, he rewrote what was a terrible script written by Kaczynski into what essentially became the shooting script. Um, it kind of invalidates that uh, WGA win now, doesn't it? Well, and so Andrew, Andrew Bronsberg, who's the producer of the film, goes on to say that he was in a, between a rock and a hard place because he knew the work that Bob Jones did on the screenplay, having been in the business 
in in the film business for quite a while. And Jerzy Kaczynski being more of an author of a, no- a novelist and didn't didn't know how to quite take his book and make it into a filmable screenplay. And um, uh, Bronsberg basically kind of gave in and said, no, I think we have to let Jersey get this. And it went through WGA arbitration and they sided with Kaczynski, gave him sole credit. Um, even though the year before, you know, I think Bob, Bob Jones had won the Oscar for coming home. So it, it was weird that the WGA decided to rule in favor of essentially somebody new into this industry well, and considering he already had a plagiarism scandal, I, yeah, it's it's it was, and then and Bob Jones just seems like a very nice, like the I I got um the feeling I got from Bob Jones was the opposite feeling I got from, and you got to help me out here because I, I I forgot his name, Alien. Oh, Dan O'Bannon. Yeah, yeah, I got the exact opposite feeling from him. Not pretentious, very certainly much, a lot more humble. Yes, 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 yeah. very much humble. Um, so that and so. I, because I, I want. I'm glad you brought up the players and thing. But what got me more was the fact that Bob Jones didn't just do uncredited work. He, he, gave. He put on to screen what we saw. Now, and not not having seen that or knowing much more past that, I wouldn't be surprised to find that Sellers is probably the reason why Kaczynski had so much involvement. Because it was it was originally Sellers that reached out to Kaczynski. Yes. No. Kaczynski basically included himself into it um, and, and had a relationship with Bronsberg, who was the producer of it. Um, and I think it, it was mostly actually the relationship between, I, I think I'm saying that right. Andrew Bronsberg, the, yeah, the main producer of the movie, his relationship with Kaczynski was, um, was how he was so involved. Side tangent. I'll just get out of the way right now. Bronsberg had way too many fond memories about him, Kaczynski and Roman Polanski hanging out. And it was every time he smiled after he said Polanski, I was like, dude, you need to stop. Yeah, you got to dial that shit back that, a bit, man. That, like, footage was from, like, 2012, 13. The Polanski thing was, I mean, this is this is very, this was not, like, an old archival, Yeah, you no, know, the Polanski thing interview. was, uh, Polanski had already fled America years, two two or three years before this film was made. Yeah, no, the, the, he, he, I, I wanted to reach into the screen and go, dude, you need to, you need to calm down. I would, I wouldn't say Polanski anymore. You really need to stop seeing Polanski, because it's, it's awkward. Um. Sorry. That well, was and, weird, I, and I think we're tangent. I think the Barnes and Noble Criterion sale will still be going on when this episode drops. So I'll be yeah. being there is the next thing I buy. You know, we haven't done a real good shout out to Criterion. The restoration of this is astounding. It looks so good. Okay. Was, now, while we're talking Criterion, help me out here, and I'm gonna jump straight to the end, even before we finish the stats. Now, the end credits. Do the end credits have the Raphael outtake, or do they have the static TV on the Criterion? What do you What do you think it had? I hope it has the static. It has the outtake. Oh God damn it! Okay, we'll circle back to that. Yeah, we'll, we gotta we gotta we'll deal with that. Um. So um, the cast. Feel free to throw in some of the ones. I, I, oh, before you oh, get to the cast, we kidding. usually do. We usually do how many other films ha- uh, the director has in the book do you do you have those because if you don't i do i do okay which is only just one yeah and it's harold and maude 1971 i'm in no rush to do that one by the way i haven't seen it okay now i'm now here's where I'll, here's where i'll throw out something i ordered coming home because i was like i we, it came up a lot during the deer hunter episode, yeah we talked about that quite and a i bit. thought it might be my recommend because i wanted to and, and it just seemed perfect to bring up now you know is this is like is is where where does coming home fit? And it fucking got delayed, and I still haven't gotten it yet. Oh, that's shitty. My plan was to watch it a couple mornings ago, and it just 
Did the did Criterion put that one out too? No, this was just some. It was a used copy. I just, oh, okay. I, I couldn't find it to stream anywhere. Yeah. I, but I, I wanted to have it. It seemed like something I should. Yeah, it's it's on my radar as well as um, another film of his, The Last Detail, yeah, the Jack Nicholson film. Because yes. I saw I saw Last Flag Flying, which I I really enjoyed, mm-hmm. and supposedly uh, Last Flag Flying is something of an unofficial sequel to The Last Detail. Okay. All right. And I mean, I'll watch anything Nicholson anyway. That's, so, yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. It, that was in his everything I do, I'm going to get nominated for Heyday. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> um, okay. So, the cast uh, Peter Sellers uh, plays Chance the Gardener or Chauncey Gardener, Gardner um, which is just which I have to deal with that name in a second. I got another issue with our book. Okay, great. So, let me, I'll, I'll spew through who I think are the, the main characters. Um, Shirley, Shirley MacLaine, in a wonderfully understated performance, plays Eve Rand. Oh, she's so good. She's fantastic. Uh, Melvin Douglas plays ben, Benjamin Rand. Jack Warden, who I never would think would ever play a president, plays the, the president of the United States of America. Um, Richard Dysart plays Dr. Allenby. And the only other one I put down was Ruth Attaway in a small but memorable performance as Louise, who was the. Um, the maid of the house that uh, chance and, and she has a great in. scene right when the conspiracy theory stuff is yeah. getting is reaching a peak. Yeah. No, I didn't do any. I didn't do any other names. Oh, I, I got I got two more. I got Richard Basehart who played the Russian ambassador at the party. <laughs> okay. I just I I pulled him up because he's not actually Russian. He's from Ohio, and that just <laughs> I was like, wow, you fooled me, man. That's there a great Russian That's accent. Good. And then there is a very small bit part. One of his. Um, aides that's there that the russian ambassador is played by a guy named Ilya baskin uh his character's name is karpatov i don't think they ever say it uh but i'll always remember him as the uh as the russian general at the beginning of austin powers and then oh as as one of gary oldman's henchmen in, in air, air force, force one, one. Yes. and he's he's so good he's like the guy that can actually pilot the plane <sighs> that in is that. so and he's, funny he's so good in that there you go. He's one well, of these guys out. that just pops up yeah. in little things here and there, and he's yep. always brilliant. Yep. Uh, that's great. I, I literally stopped the movie when I was watching it. I was like, holy shit, Air Force One. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> I like I childishly out loud I'm got bummed, excited. I'm bummed I didn't, I didn't, get, I didn't see, remember that. Um, you, want, you want to talk about some accolades? Yeah, let's do it. Um, before we jump straight into accolades, God I got a little it. piece of trivia. No, it's still I'm relevant. It's still relevant. Uh, Hal Ashby is in a very, very elite group of filmmakers only he scorsese william wyler and Ilya kazan have directed uh performances that led to nominations at the oscars in all four of the acting categories oh yeah he did it for coming home yeah yep yeah so very very well and this is not just in one movie this is over the course of their filmographies oh, yeah. well just so you know he did that for one film Oh, did he? Yeah, coming home, actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actor. I'm going to have to look now to see if... I know, I don't think Scorsese did it all in one film. I'm going to have to look to see if Weiler or Kazan did. Kazan did. Oh, he did? Um, he, oh, no, I was on the waterfront, but Eva Marie Saint was supporting actress, so... Oh, no, um, Streetcar. In fact, everybody won except for uh, Brando that year. Yeah. Well, that's all right. They, he got he got but made up for it yeah. on on the waterfront. Oh yeah, yeah which yeah. I think is a better performance anyway. If oh I'm honest. yeah, I do too. It's yeah, it's it's less. Yeah. Anyways, yes, I agree. Yes. but they're both good. Um. Anyway, awards. Yeah. So, uh, um, uh, at the Academy, it um was nominated for a bunch. Um. It it lost most of what 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 it lost to was Kramer versus Kramer, um, and I haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't seen Kramer vs. Kramer? No. Um, 
It's okay. I mean, I, I've heard good things about it. I went out of my way to watch it because, um, and to get a little personal, uh, being that my, my dad has been through a couple of divorces and he didn't lose custody of us, but he, he, he's had moments where his children have been in and out of his life. He, he's always told me that that's a film he's never been able to finish. And so I, I kind of went out of my way to see, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, picture, although being, sorry, being there was not nominated for best picture, but, um, it was, it, well, it won supporting and it was yes. nominated for actor, which he lost to Kramer, Dustin Hoffman for Kramer versus yes. Kramer. That was a tough year. Cause I've got the other nominees. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Pacino was nominated for, and, and justice Just for all, all, which is one of my favorite Pacinos. I haven't seen it, but and actually, um, Jack Warden's in that as well as this corrupt judge. Okay. Um, uh, Jack Lemon was also nominated for the China Syndrome. Okay, and uh, so was Roy Scheider for All That Jazz. Yeah, so some super tough competition yeah. that year. And I feel like if it was a weaker year, I think Sellers would have run away with it. I, uh, man, I think. But how do how do you stand against was Sellers being where he was in his career? That's true. You know, if if this had been earlier in the '60s or even the mid '60s, you know. Yeah. Doctor Strangelove years, I think he would have been more of a presence and people would have felt more inclined to vote for him. But because yeah. he was at, I mean, literally the tail end of his career and had almost been forgotten at this point. We, well, and it's it's unfortunate that, you know, in a way, this is such an understated, one, intentional one-note performance. Oh, there's nothing else like it in his yeah, filmography. Well, it, and not just in his filmography. I mean, in most filmography. I mean, this is a this is a performance that you don't really see that often, which, which it stands out. I think in cinema, um, but uh, Melvin Douglas did win Best Supporting Actor at the Academy Awards. Um, at the uh, Golden Globes, it um, was nominated for Best Picture, lost to Breaking Away. Uh, it was nominated for be- uh, was nominated for nominated for Best Director there, but lost to Francis Ford Coppola for Apocalypse Now. Uh, Peter Sellers did did win Best Actor, and um, uh, Melvin Douglas won there too, but also tied with um, uh, Robert Duvall for Apocalypse Now. Um, it was also nominated for screenplay and supporting uh, and uh, lead actress. Excuse me. Um, won a couple of BAFTAs. Uh, screenplay. Now it's funny. The it it was eligible at the BAFTAs the year after, so eighty one rather than eighty because it didn't come out in the UK until the middle of eighty and rather it, than the end of seventy nine here in the states. And it looks like the uh, the Elephant Man was the big winner. Which again, that. had it come out in the UK a little bit earlier, I feel like it would have fared better because I mean the Elephant Man was just dominant. Was just destined to to do the the sort of awards business that it did yeah um was nominated for the palm d'or did not win um it won uh best actor at the national board of review it you know what i mean peter sellers did um and hey ian was this film inducted into the national film registry very recently actually the same year as uh last episode's top gun in 2015 there you go i that that's that's a tough sentence that you just said, man. I know, man. Oh, God. I, I had to get it in there. When <laughs> I saw that it was 2015, I was like, okay, call back. That's, 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 oof, that's, that's pretty bad. Um, do you have any uh, critical reviews you'd like to read? I, I do not actually have a critical review for this one. I, again, having struggled to find one that wasn't more of a synopsis. I, I just pulled the first two paragraphs from Ebert's, um, his original, not, not his great, Films, yeah, because that's, that's, I couldn't find I was actually looking for his original and couldn't find I, it. I kept finding the one from his great so movies I found, list. I found his one from January 1st, 1980. Um, and I just, I just, it really kind of launches right into the, the theme of the movie um, or the, the essence of it. 
He says, there's an exhilaration in seeing artists at the very top of their form. It almost doesn't matter what the art form is. If they're pushing their limits and going for broke and it's working, we can sense their joy of achievement. And even more so if the project in question is a risky off the wall idea that could easily just, that could just as easily have ended disastrously. How Ashby's being there is a movie that inspires those feelings. It begins with a cockamamie notion. It's basically one joke told for two hours and it requires Peter Sellers to maintain an excruciatingly narrow tone of behavior in a role that has him on screen almost constantly. It's a movie based on an idea and all the conventional wisdom agrees that emotions, not ideas, are the best to make movies from. But being there pulls off its long shot and is one of the most confoundingly provocative movies of the year. I love that. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's Ebert doing what he did best. Uh, the last thing we'll say, I guess, before we talk about the movie itself is that it's Rotten Tomatoes score. I have a 96 critical and a 92 audience. Currently not on the IMDb 250, which, which is, is I feel is a shame. Oh, it really is. And it goes to, I think I had texted you. <laughs> I had sent Adam a t- just a random text. I think I was a little hungover. <laughs> I was, you know, having a coffee, and I'm just scrolling through IMDb 250, so I haven't looked at it in a while. Can I, I think I know your text verbatim. Yeah. Your, your very brief text, what I got out of the blue was, do you ever just scroll through the IMDb Top 250 and get fucking pissed? <laughs> I think it was raging fucking pissed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I left that qualifier out. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Um, but it is, a, it is truly a shame. Yeah. So, uh, again... As you can guess already, I think everybody can tell that we both love this film. It's, this, such, and, and, it's a now, special, such a special, unique film. I had never seen this movie before. Yeah, it was my first time as well. And, um, but I guess, so when, when you introduced me to A Matter of Life and Death, which is one of our earlier episodes, I kept saying that I was so smitten with that movie. And the word I would use for this one is charmed. I was utterly charmed throughout the entire movie. Yeah. Everybody... I mean, even even some of the characters who I think we're supposed to maybe not not hate, but the question like the president kind of and, and the doctor we're supposed to kind of have maybe some reserved feelings about. Even them, I enjoy. I just I, I you know it's just such a wonderful wonderful movie. So, anyways, well, the thing that the thing that I kept coming back to when I was taking my notes is I can see. I can see cynical characters in this film, but yeah. there isn't a drop of cynicism in it, which is yeah. surprising considering some of the satirical things they're trying to say yeah yeah so the the i guess the brief synopsis without you know i just I like the overarching sort of almost wikipedia entry of this would be um peter sells place chance the gardener who lives in a house with a master we don't know anything about and i think uh, i think it would be easy to dismiss chance in the in the day and age where we know a little bit more about uh neurological issues such as autism or Asperger's. I think it'd be yeah. easy now to dismiss him as, oh, he's just Asperger's. Well, no, sure. it's just, for me, it's an undeveloped mind. He's he's never left the house. Yes. Gar- yes. The garden and the TV is all he knows. Yes, yes. The, the house is, there are TVs everywhere strewn about this house. And uh, we basically, we basically open in the movie on the day that his master, I don't know how to phrase it, the the master of the house. Well, they, ne- they never give him a name. Yeah. Um, has died. Um, assuming of old age, he just, he's just, He's died in his bed and um, clearly had some kind of wealth to him. And Chance is basically forced to leave because there's no record of him. He doesn't really, he doesn't have a last name. He's just Chance and he gardens. Um, so he, he leaves the house. Uh, we, we sort of, we realize then that he's in the DC area. Um, 
wanders around sort of the slummy areas, eventually wanders closer to the capital, as we see in a wonderful shot where he's walking oh, down the median. That's one of my favorite and, shots in and the film. And you see the top of the White House. It's, that's a beautiful shot. Um, and then... Oh, and he has that moment outside the White House where he, he calls the cop over. Yes. And says, this tree needs this tree needs help. This tree is dying. And the cop seems to take him rather seriously. Yes. He, he, you know, a cop would never have heard something like this before. Yeah. That, that is, as you say, charming. It's just one of those little unnecessary moments that just peppers yeah. in this beautiful little bit of charm. And he finds himself standing in front of a store that has a bunch of TVs in the window and on, on them, he can see himself because it's, it's hooked up to a video camera and in the process of kind of going forwards and backwards and, and being mesmerized with himself on screen, um, a car backs into him, not too terribly, but enough to sort his, of his, his leg gets pinned. Yeah. He steps into the street and we find out that the, the passenger of the car is a Shirley MacLaine playing Eve Rand, who is the wife of some, some tycoon, some rich, rich, rich guy. And who, 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 who he himself is in the, the later stages of some debilitating disease. I, I think I've wrote it down because it was a, um, well, he says it, the it's thing, a young man's disease. It's a young man's disease. Yes. Um, he, his body can't create enough, uh, white blood cells. There we go. Yeah. Um, and so it's some sort of anemia, probably like a sickle cell anemia sure. would be my guess. And, Eve invites Chance back to their house. We have a doctor. You can you get checked out there. Maybe wanting to avoid some kind of a scandal, but maybe also just out of the goodness of her heart wanting to do that. Yeah, I never got that it was, again, a cynical act. I, I no, felt it, like it was her just being a genuinely good person. I think I, I think I got there soon, but you know, but initially it's, it's a really nice car. She's got a driver and somebody else up there. So it, it could easily have been like, I want to avoid a scandal kind of thing. And then he gets to this, the, the, was it the, in, in actuality, it's the, the Biltmore estate. Is that what it is? This gorgeous house in North Carolina um, where, where they actually shot. But um, obviously, it's just supposed to be somewhere in D.C. But he, he arrives and gets treatment, and nobody can figure him out. But at the there's a dinner he gets to go to, and he drops some wonderful speech about gardening. But... Um, Benjamin, played by Melvin Douglas, takes it as this really meaningful um, thought on politics and life and, and, and everything. And, and that basically is, is the sort of genesis of, of Chance being this. He, he gets put on a pedestal yeah. because this, the, Melvin, the uh, Melvin Douglas character has the ear of the president. Yes. And so it just happens to be the president's coming over tomorrow. Yep. And so he gets to sit in on this meeting and, of course, is talking about, you know, there's some sort of, you get the idea, there's some sort of economic crisis that's happening in the yes. States right now. Yeah, and, and of course, then he's coming to this, he, Jack Warden is the president's coming to Melvin Douglas at, looking for any kind of advice, what should I do? And uh, he's talking Chance, about spring and seasons, summer. Yes. Yeah, oh it's my so God. wonderful. And then you hear it repeated later, that the president gives the speech and then Chance becomes this sort of cultural phenomenon and and also a mystery to everybody because upon his entrance, he says, I'm Chance the Gardener. And he's mistakenly referred to from that point on as Chauncey Gardener. Now, here's so here's my issue with up. here's my issue with the book. If you read the little blurb uh, that's in the book written by uh, Karen Krizanovich, uh, she says the name Chauncey Gardener, he's mistaken for the dead employer. And the dead employer's name is Chauncey Gardener. Like, no, it's just Shirley MacLaine mishearing his name which is the whole point of this film is mishearing and misinterpreting. Yeah. 
Yeah, maybe do your research before you write these blurbs. I don't know. That's just me. That, no, that's fair. I read the one uh, for an, an an episode coming up, and it it, it there was like hardly anything. I mean, I also feel like these blurbs have to sell you on seeing the movie, and I just didn't. You know, I don't. Is know. is it Gallipoli? The, yes, it is. The okay. book the book is the jumping off point. It really, I mean, at least for what we're doing too. It, it's you know, I I I get very little from the blurbs. The movies are in there, and then I watch them, and then we form our own opinions, and we we tell them to you. Um, and then yeah, and then. That's just me being a nitpicky son of a bitch. No, I, I, that's a good nitpick, though. Yeah. That's, that's not the name of his... Anyways. And then that's pretty much it. And, and um, you know, getting into maybe some spoiler territory, Melvin Douglas is slowly dying, and um, people are wondering more about who this guy is, who this Chauncey Gardner is. And it, it's looking like um, him and Shirley MacLaine are going to get together. We'll have to come back and talk about the uh, that scene with the Thomas Crown Affair, because that is just wonderful um and then eventually uh benjamin Rand dies and it looks like things might be left to uh to chauncey and we get left with this wonderful last image at the end of the movie of chauncey walking over this lake and that's what we're left with so let's do you want to start with the end or do you want to do you want to go jump around yeah, let's just let's keep it loose. Do you do you want to talk about the end? Are you you seem like you want to well, cut straight to the chase? No, no. I, I so for those of you who haven't seen it, I mean, he he literally ends the movie by walking on water, and well, and there's this wonderful thing where he sticks his umbrella yeah in the water to prove to you that he is actually walking on water. Which in in the the documentary on the Criterion, Caleb Deschanel, the um the cinematographer who is my who is my unsung hero for the the film. Oh, he's. Uh, wonderful filmographer he is um uh, cinematographer excuse he, me he talked about um that that was his idea was the the umbrella poke like he should he should he just threw out the idea that he that that chance should should see if this is real or not and that's that well, was that's, why he and this is this is the thing that i wrote in my notes this film is so full of metaphor and particularly uh, sort of unwarranted metaphor of people looking for things that aren't there, especially in what Chance is saying, uh, which is what propels him into the spotlight. I love the idea, and I wrote down, because fourth wall breaks were so on our minds during the Funny Games <laughs> yeah. episode, I went, wow, is this, are we going one step further? Is this a metaphorical fourth wall break? I, I didn't want to elaborate on that idea. That was just me spitballing as I was taking my notes. But what I what I did want to hammer home is all of the all of the unwarranted metaphors that happen in this film, Chance, in a way, that he sees a real-life one, or he becomes a real-life metaphor, after all this time of being mistaken for one. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, it's also, as I was describing the film to Liz, because I was so disappointed she didn't see it with me, uh, I mean, we're going to have to watch it again very soon when I pick up that criterion. Yeah. Uh, I said to her, I, I honestly believe this is the most beautiful moment of irony I've ever seen in a film. Yeah, ever. It's wonderful. I and just uh, quickly that so, I, I picked up the Criterion a while ago. I I remember I must have been like twenty twenty one, and it was either I think it was Premiere did this special special um uh magazine. It was like the top hundred performances of all time, and so this would have been like I don't know two thousand and seven maybe two thousand and six, and I remember. I think Peter Sellers' chance fell into like the top 10 somewhere. 
And and I had never even heard of this movie. This was, you know, a long that's, time ago. That's impressive. Yeah, I'm, it, I'm very surprised to hear that. I mean, I'm happy to hear that. The only reason that I, this movie was even on my radar at all was I remember thinking, what the hell is this movie and how have I not heard of it? If, if this performance is being, you know, heralded so much. And so I was I was excited that we kind of landed upon it as, as something that we were going to do. And I told Melissa, I was at work and I said, this, we're going to watch this tonight. And I, I got home and she had a... She doesn't get migraines, but she she was in rough shape when I got home. And I said, Melissa, you don't have to watch this with me because she likes to watch she likes to watch the movies. And she goes, No, I'm going to watch it. And I I I honestly think this movie took away the migraine. Like she enjoyed it that much, and I I that of course made me just thrilled that she enjoyed it. But I I don't know. I just it, it's a it's a it was just a great it, it was just a great experience watching the movie. Um, but I I wanted to circle back to the end just really quick because uh, Bob Jones, who's the uncredited screenwriter of this movie, I liked what he said about it. Um, and and this isn't my feelings. I just really like what he said about it. He said, um, that that chance, the whole walking on water thing. It's you you could you could see it as literal or metaphorical. But what Bob Jones said was, he was just too dumb to know that he couldn't do it. And I, I don't know why I just I, I I heard that I go I I like that so much. Oh, that's that's yeah. To that's know perfect. that he he because how would he know he couldn't do that? I don't know. I just I love that. I just thought that was a fun thing way to think about the ending. Yeah, that's wonderful. So uh, I don't know, man. Where do you, where do you want to jump to in, in things that stand out? I as the movie went on and as the as the week I guess went on and I'm taking notes and doing research. You know, I, I when he steps out of the house. And that crazy, oh man, crazy music. The the Emir uh, Diodato funk slash jazz slash fusion crazy ass. Zarathustra. Yeah, the the thus spoke Zathura bit comes oh on. God. I'm like, what? I out loud said, "What the fuck is this?" But it's. I, but as as it went on, I'm like, okay. I I actually kind of I listened to the piece separately outside of yeah. of the film, and I was like, okay. I I don't know that I get it. But I I kind of like it. It really grew on me, and its place in there. And in my mind, I was trying to do all of this. Well, Peter Sellers was he worked with Kubrick on on Lolita and on Doctor Strangelove, yeah. and obviously the most famous use of that piece of music, not the funk version, yes. but yes. the the original is is obviously the start of two thousand one. And I was trying to draw some connective tissue there that probably isn't really there. No, I, I think you're on the right track. I do. Oh, you, oh, you think so? Well, the, in the documentary, they, they, they knew that the the sort of iconic way of thinking about that music was from 2001. And very it, it very exploratory and breaking new grounds is it, kind of what we almost associate that that music with now. And to give it the 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 jazz the jazzy version because of it's it's more i think it's also it's it's indicating where he's literally walking into as well right so it it it's it's certainly this it seems to be very much this gentrified version of some neighborhood outside of outside of DC somewhere and i don't know man it just you know especially when it's going on between the whole thing where he rocks up to the that group of black kids and he's like do you just, i forget what he asks but he's like, man, you, you, Raphael sent you. That whole thing is, it's so oh, funny. Oh, and the, the fact that he tries to stop them yes. talking. Oh my with, God. Because he, take, he takes a remote with him. Yeah. And that's, that's how he knows to change the channel. Yeah. Change something he doesn't like. Oh, is to, to try and turn them off with the remote. But I, I was also, now that we're talking about it, what's the picture that's kind of forming in my head is the idea of you're taking 
music that's very popular in the 70s the jazz funk and and all of that and mashing it with this this beautiful classical piece it's him stepping out of a, a classical world because he's listening to classical music at the beginning of the film without performance on the television yes, he's stepping out right. of a classier world into something that's that's somewhat ghetto like yeah you know what i mean I, I, maybe that has something to do with it as well. No, I, the the, the I, I meeting, the meeting of two worlds. Yes, yeah. I, I think that's all there. I yeah. totally do. Yeah. yeah, I think I think my Kubrick one was a bit more of a stretch, but eh. I'm happy to run with it. Uh, yeah, any I chance I, any chance I get to talk about Kubrick, fuck that's it, I'll, I'll take that's it. That's fair. If I'm gonna find something about this movie that I, I guess I didn't like, which I I don't know that I didn't like this. I, I felt like the the male lawyer was a bit over the top. The one who's kind of kicking him out, and, and not enough that it drew me out of the movie. He definitely plays sort of the more well, archetypal villain. Yeah, I, I guess mean, it's not. I don't even. Yeah, I didn't even bother to write down the guy's name. I didn't not either. that he's a bad actor. No, no, no. It just, he, he serves his purpose. I love the moment where Chance talks about. I like to have my my bed facing the head of my bed facing what is it north or west or something yeah, like was, that. Yeah, yeah. He's like, so I like to this, have it facing north, and it's, it's facing west. I, I like I like that. <laughs> I also there's no resolution to that moment yeah. either. Well, it's it's like everything else in Chance's life. It's something he probably heard on the television, and it's something that he's he's imitating. Yeah. He's like, oh, uh, I like this. There's something about that. This is aesthetically pleasing to me, even though he probably doesn't know the meaning of the word aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. yeah. But he he saw something that that struck a chord with him, and now he's trying to imitate it. Yeah. I, there's oh, there's just so many great moments in this movie. I I I love. When he's watching the Thomas Crown Affair, which is also just funny because that was something that um, Ashby edited Ward, yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Shirley McLean coming in and, and him trying to do his best to re- to recreate it and the, the repetition of I like to watch and she gets all nervous and then the her trying to please herself on the on the bare rug. It, it's just. Well, that's the did you read that 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 scene is the reason why Lawrence Olivier didn't want to play. Benjamin Wren. He, yes. Uh, Lawrence, I believe it was Lawrence Olivier yep. and uh, Burt Lancaster uh-huh. were two of the first. I don't know why Lancaster turned it down, but Olivier turned it down because of that scene. He's just talking about how he didn't want to see McLean degrade <laughs> herself or something like that, which I don't I don't feel that it's degrading because you get to a point in there, as you mentioned in your in your little summary, you get to the feeling that Chance is going to step into probably physically and 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 quite literally Rand's shoes. Absolutely. And he's going to, you know, take over part of his business and, you know, start up a relationship with I mean, Eve. I I I think he has his blessing. Yeah, it it certainly seems yeah. that way. I mean, if Benj- Benjamin Rand, he knows that he's a dying man and that there's certain things that he just can't fulfill as as a man or as a husband or or whatever you want to call it. And so yeah, yeah he it does seem like he's given his blessing to the Eve character, like, I know you fancy him. I know that they're, you're drawn to him. And so I want you to be able to live the life that you want to live. Yeah. And so she goes into to Chance's bedroom. And, and of course we have the masturbation scene, which I have a funny story about this masturbation scene, actually. Okay. So it's not going where you think it's going. Um, you don't know where I think it's going. Well, you know, <laughs> get your mind out of the gut. That's fine. Um, years ago, working at the, the video store that I worked at, on Kameno, yeah. I uh, I would work Sunday mornings, which were usually pretty quiet. Sundays were usually just people returning stuff from Friday and Saturday nights, sure. just dropping into very rarely renting stuff out, but it was usually just people dropping stuff in. And so I would have time to pretty much watch whatever I want within reason. Yeah. 
uh, catch up on some reading or catch up on, on whatever. And uh, I was talking to one of my regulars and we were talking uh, Hal Ashby movies, which at that point I hadn't seen any of. Sure. And well, you've, you've got being in here or being there. You've got that. You should, you should put it on. I mean, you're slow, put it on and watch it. And so I, I put it on and I, I have no memory of like the movie itself watching it because I was probably preoccupied and, and doing it because I, I would work Sundays by myself. So if people came in, obviously yeah. I had to drop whatever yeah. I was doing. Um, but anyway, I started to get to get busy, which was unusual for a Sunday. And right when I've got a line of like six people and it's me by myself, the masturbation scene starts. <laughs> and I have to book my ass down to the back of the store to hit that VCR with all the... Str- and there are kids in the store. I'm like, who the hell told me? I know it's PG, but come on, man. I mean, it's obviously before the PG-13 rating. Had yeah. this film come out post-1984, maybe yes. it got would have gotten a PG-13 for that in particular. But there's yeah. nothing out, there's nothing else really in it that would cause you to, no, to want to rate it any it, higher than a PG, I even think. Even the way that that's shot, it's pretty tame. But the fact is, is when people are, they just hear it. Yes. You know what I mean? You, yeah. You're not seeing what's out. You're just hearing it, yeah. which makes it so much worse. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so that was my little anecdote about it. And of course, I, I never bothered to go back and finish that simply because I think maybe that experience was like, well, God damn it, kind of thing. Like, Well, I, I, yeah. Th- I mean, this is one of those movies that I... I'm so bummed now I waited this long to watch. Oh, so am I. And there's so many things about this movie that are, I mean, the, 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 I mean, the story is great. The performances are great. I think Hal Ashby does a great job directing the movie. There are some really nice images. Like, the symmetry is great. There's that scene where they're walking down the hallway, and they're both being followed by the two butlers with the wheelchairs behind both of them, which is this great little... Oh, all that, all that stuff where he's first in the house and the next day leading up to meeting the president where he goes outside and he wants to go for a walk and then one of the valets is like, would you like a car, sir? Yes. Oh not, not knowing that he's like, oh, no, I've never, I would love to have a car. He's thinking you're going to give me a car. Yeah. I, the, all of that. All the wonderful misinterpretation that happens and, throughout this film. And that's the thing about Chance as a character is you realize early on that, that people are are taking him seriously. There like you said there's no there's no this this guy has some kind of a mental disorder. There's none of that. Oh, yeah, there's it's, no there's no reason to not take yeah, him it, seriously. It's just that he the way he that's the way he talks and and this is how he this is how he thinks. And because everybody treats him as an equal or and as the movie progresses as somebody who's actually intellectually superior to them all, all the stuff at the dinner party with the russian yeah. delegation where all the, uh, the rumors start spreading people talk to him and then they just extrapolate i uh, he speaks eight languages yes. and he's got oh no he's got both a medical and a law degree i love that the president's team cannot get all, that all of that together. all that back and forth where the fbi and cia yes. start blaming each other oh, for so losing great. his files and then it, it's it's now it's now wreaking havoc on the president's love life he just that that is the only stuff i would lose and i think even roger ebert called that out in his review for the you know, on his great movies list is yeah that some of that stuff is it just slows the plot unnecessarily I, see I, the only reason i di- you, do you mean specifically the stuff in bed yeah I see the only reason I disagree is because it accounts for all of like 37 seconds of total screen time. Like it is so short. And that's what I think is the funniest part about it is we just, it's just like 15 seconds of them in bed, not moving. And you, you get exactly what's well, going the, on. The, I think there's multiple scenes. There's also there's, scenes no, there's where he's, of, the president's watching, uh, 
well, he's but, watching Chance on TV because Chance yes. actually does a television interview, and the wife is trying to come on to him and calm him down but a little everybody, bit. Well, okay, yes, but but that's also they also that's also the segment where um, the former maid is watching too. Like that's like multiple people are watching that show, so it's not like we're focusing just on the yeah. President. And I I can I would guess it would make sense that the president would be watching it as well because of course he quoted the man. Now he needs to know more about him. But uh, yeah, in the in the nitpicky sort of world if you wanted to tighten the film up and get it down a little bit that is one thing that I guess, I guess could go I guess but I I thought it was fun yeah. I liked it well and I I love I love the the Louise scene where she's like you know I that that boy ain't got a brain in his head oh yes we I mean you have to get the, the best line of the entire movie all you got to be is white in America to get what you want like when when she said that it's just again. I feel like. Oh I tried, no! All that white guilt just rose up in me. But, I was but like, I God, try, it's still relevant now. I more than ever. Not to say every time we record. Oh, this is still so relevant today. But Jesus Christ, this is still so relevant today. Seeing as though we're recording in the apartment, you may pick up the sound of my my needy cat. He he wants to join in and be a part of this as well. So everybody, say hi to Norton. Say hi, Norton. Yes, named after the actor Edward Norton. Oh, really? I don't yeah. think I knew that. Yeah. Well, you're yeah. going to have to watch out there, friend. Yeah. He's all up in the mics. Um, anyway, there... Another little piece of trivia that I loved was the uh, on the uh, the Rand's gravestone, which you, you finally you figure out, oh, Rand is a he's a Mason. He's one of the Freemasons. And that's why he's so influential. And yes. his, his tomb is in the shape of a pyramid with the all seeing eye, the Freemason symbol and all of that. And it yeah. has life as a state of mind yes. on it. Um, I, that's also one of the final lines that the president delivers in the film, giving his uh, the eulogy to Rand. Yes, uh, that's actually on Sellers' gravestone as well. Yes, that's right. I did read that, yeah. and he didn't. I mean, he saw the premiere of this, but he also he didn't he didn't last much longer after this movie came no, out. No, he had he had one more film, which is kind of a goofy Fu Manchu kind of thing. But I, I this is generally accepted to be his swan song. Yeah. And I, I would, I personally, I would probably choose to ignore that Fu Manchu film and just this. This is Peter Sellers' last film. Yeah, and yeah. what a film to go out on. And and how much he wanted. I mean, he was doing it forever. I mean, almost ten years. Kaczynski letters saying, "I, I am your chance." And available, yeah. available in your garden or mine. I yeah. love. I that's such a beautiful little thing. Considering how much supposedly a dick Peter Sellers was. I don't. Did you see the? Um, Years ago, this is about 2003, 2004. The HBO movie. The HBO, yes, where Jeffrey... I Actually, I tried to find that to I, use as my recommend, and I couldn't... HBO is so bad about taking care of their back catalog. Uh, not so much of the series that they did, but especially the older films. Like, there's another one I'd love to see that I just can't track down called Fatherland, which is like an alternate U.S. history where uh, Germany wins World War II, and Rutger Hauer is in it. Oh, it's a film they produced in the, the early 90s. I, I mean, you've... You, I've I've seen the Jeffrey okay, Rush. I, too. I don't I don't but remember I liking it. it. Oh, I did. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm I'm kind of partial to Jeffrey Rush anyway. No, I like Jeffrey Rush. I just I don't know. Uh, well, I, and I just like the casting. You got John Lithgow in there as Blake Edwards, the director of the Pink Panther films. Yeah. And you've also got Stanley Tucci as yep. Kubrick, which is kind of I love that they they didn't try to emulate Kubrick in any kind of way. Like yeah. Tucci just plays it however he wants to play it because yeah. there's no point trying to emulate Kubrick at all the man was such a mystery yeah as it was you know just just play it however you want but I, I what I love about is is seeing Jeffrey Rush get to play and and recreate those famous you know cellar scenes especially in Dr. Strange Love and then seeing how much of a uh 
has temper tantrums you know he's he's has famous stories about especially in being there when he showed the film to his daughter she reacted to it supposedly very nonchalantly and so he like poured his drink over her and then there's the scene in the jeffrey rush film where he again he shows her a film and she reacts nonchalantly and he goes and like stands on a bunch of her toys and things like that i think charlie's theron is in it as well playing oh, one of his wives yeah it's, it's got a stacked cast is, yeah as most of those HBO things usually do. Yeah, that's but, fair, yeah. yeah. I, I remember liking it, but again, I couldn't find a copy of it to revisit it for this episode, which yeah, I was I disappointed mean, it's, in. It's been, a, I mean... 2004, I think? Well, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, probably maybe 06, 07 was when I watched yeah. it. It's been, yeah, a decade at least. Oh, there was there was a quote that gets said that, of course, like, destroyed the the theater actor in me and it's something along the extent of like more people are going to be watching you tonight than people have seen in the theater in the last 40 years and i was like that sucks well and i also love that he he has no explanation for it i think he he asks him why and the guy's i i don't know man i know and that was my response too like ah why yeah no i I only just to be because it destroys me a little bit that's but the, to circle back to the beginning of the episode, I when we were talking Criterion, I asked yeah. you if the Criterion ends on the Raphael outtake or whether it ends on the static. Now, I 100% agree with Peter Sellers. He said that it demystifies Chance, and he believes it's what probably lost him the Oscar. I won't go that far. Well, but and, I, the, and there was also thought that that might have been what lost the movie The Palm Door. Yeah. See, just, that, that I would agree with. And... It, it does. It feels so out of place. I mean, it, clearly it's a scene that was never going to make it in the film yeah. anyway, because that, for me, that would have really disrupted the film. So what happens is when he's talking to the kids on the street, they ask him to give a message to Raphael. Yeah. And it's, it's fairly expletive and, yes. yeah. and, you know, mean-spirited. And so when he gets, there's a moment where, and again, you could pass this off as racism because when he gets to Rand's house, it's, a, it's an African-American doctor that's there treating Rand and he's going to x-ray Chance's leg. And he's like, hey, do you know Raphael? Simply because other than Louise, there haven't been any people of color at all in his life. Yeah. And so that's the the thread that he's drawing. I, it's you, it's you the most could, direct connection he has. Yeah, you, yeah. you could call it racism, but I don't know that I would go necessarily that far. Again, I think it's to do with his undeveloped mind. He just doesn't know any better, which is not to excuse it. Yes. But it yes. just it is what it is. It's in Chance's mind that was the next logical step. Like he 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 remembered the message and 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 in his mind because of who was who was giving him the message, who was a young black man, um, I must be looking for a, a, a black man to to give this message to. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 an unfortunate step that he makes, but yeah, I, th- I agree with you. I think it's yeah. an undeveloped mind focusing on the one right. thing that it can remember. And of course, so the, the him recounting the message wasn't going to make it in the film. Anyway. So the, the, the movie ends with him on the water and then it cuts to a brief moment of television static. And then it cuts to credits and him laying on the table. And it's Peter Sellers breaking character. I, I, I think it's five a outtakes. fair number of times. It's yeah, about five yeah. outtakes of him. And everybody in the room just dying as he's deliver- trying to deliver this piece of dialogue. Um, yeah, I when he says it demystifies the character of Chance, that that's one hundred percent accurate. I, oh, see, I don't, I disagree. Really? Yeah. Do you you like the outtake? I I'm fine oh, I think, with it. Okay. I I think for me, if you're gonna if if we're expected to have the story continue into the credits, then it needs to be clear that that's that that's what's gonna happen. Um. Something, you know, a la Michael Clayton, where he gets in the cab 
and it's an it's an intentional decision to just watch him live in that moment after he leaves the anyway we're not talking about michael clayton but um for me after the the water thing and it kind of goes to black for a, for a second i i know the movie's done so for me it's just and and i don't know enough about peter sellers and i mean i've not i mean i know who he is i know about his roughly about his his sort of tumultuous hollywood history but it was just kind of funny to watch this guy give this this one note performance, break character multiple times, and and have everybody. I don't know. I I thought just, it was just fun. to know it's hey, it's still Peter Sellers. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I I don't know. And I get I, it, but I hear what I hear what you're saying about demystifying Chance and that character. I guess I just I guess I just it went to black, and I was like, okay, now I can think about the movie. And this was just like another another thing. And, and I think because it's 79, 80, this is before really the advent of even home video. This is before the advent of, I think, Betamax was still kind of in its infancy. Yeah, We're yeah. really not even VHS days yet. Now, had this film come out, you know, DVD days, you know, you would have that just as a, you'd have it as an outside, you'd have it as a bonus feature. Sure. And so they didn't have the luck. They w- clearly wanted people to see it. Maybe it's, maybe it's ahead of its time. Maybe it's a game changer. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But I think they had outtakes in the credits before, because there's a lot of comedies out there that do that. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably wrong. Right. I was just, but, I, but that, that was the, that was my rationale for it. Had this film come out in a DVD era, you would stick that on as a bonus feature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I don't like it, and I'm sad to hear that Criterion go with that instead of the the static. I mean, they probably. I think there's so much about restoration that they went with that because it was ultimately what what was. Yeah, they want produced. to be true yeah, to the I, original vision of what this is. What you would have seen in '79. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't know. I, I I get it. I just don't like it. Um, yeah, I don't really, I don't really know. I feel like I'm in, I'm in a state that I was for something like a matter of life and death, where I could just list all the like the individual things that I I thoroughly enjoyed about this movie. But I just, I just go see it. I, I mean, I, I mean, I, we made our like our state our ideas very clear. I, I mean, I absolutely think this movie should be in the. Well, movie. and you, you, you hit your unsung hero there with with Caleb Dashnell. Yeah, I didn't have one going into it, but now that you talk so much about Bob Jones, it's it's Bob Jones for yeah. me. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I, I probably should have gone with that one too. But yeah, I mean, it, he did so much work that literally went unseen, you know, or uncredited, I should say. Yeah. So he is the definition of an unsung hero. That, yeah, there you go. Absolutely. And as far as favorite shots go, I mean, I I love him walking up the ramp towards the Capitol building. And, yeah. the, and the symmetry in that, I love that very much. You you haven't mentioned a fair. It is a f- somewhat ordinary looking film. I mean, there's no there's no huge big shot moments no. that just take your breath away, other than him walking on the water at the end. Yeah, which I mean, probably actually is my favorite shot. It, it, it's, See, I, I could say that too, but that's the easy answer. No, it is. It is. But I mean, <laughs> some. I feel like sometimes you could you you say that not you, but the general you yeah, can yeah, say yeah. that. Oh, my favorite shot is. X, but it's it, it, it it's cliche, but cliches that's okay. are usually it's, cliches because there's some truth behind it. Yeah, them, it's know? okay and, to like the iconic shot. There's oh, nothing absolutely. wrong with that. Yeah. yeah. But I, I I do think my favorite like my favorite acting scene is is him it's him and Melvin Douglas and Jack Warden and he giving him giving this the seasons speech is just it's just so great. Yeah. And we yeah. should probably mention, as as a final note, a little nod, a little tip of the hat to uh, Stan Laurel of Laurel and Hardy, because that's what, that's Peter Sellers' search for ages to find yeah. the right sound for 
for chance and it ended up being one of the 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 heroes of the silent age and early talkies yeah which is a film i'm totally excited to see i haven't seen uh stan and ollie yet the, oh yeah you've you i think i feel like every couple I, of weeks goes I, by you mentioned i it. mentioned it i i don't know why i haven't gotten around to see it but i really want to oh i i, I love the idea of pairing coogan and, and john c Ryan. yeah it's got good people in it yeah yeah it's gonna be good better be yeah now yeah now that i've said that <laughs> But anyway, yeah, I think it's a both it's a resounding yes from both of us. It's a charming film. Yeah, it's a very special performance. It really is, and the you know the performances around him are great. I mean, I don't know if we gave enough love to Shirley MacLaine or Melvin Douglas. Oh, we but definitely they're, didn't. They're just they're just and, and wonderful even, in it. And even the fellow that plays uh, Doctor Allenby, uh, Richard Dysart, he's yeah. great. He's got a moment at the end that I really love after Rand has died and. And Chance says, I'm going to go tell Eve. And he goes, and and Allenby, having done his own research about him or trying to do his own research while all this conspiracy theory stuff about him is blowing up, has found out that, oh, no, he is really a gardener and his name is Chance. And he confronts him on that and doesn't do anything about it. And as he walks away, he repeats a line that Chance has used frequently throughout the film of, I understand. Yeah. And just kind of lets it just lets it go yeah i i it's a it's a there's a lot that you could unpack and read in in that moment it, sure it's, but it's i like it. and people will recognize that that actor from uh the thing is immediately where i recognized him from he's uh i think he's dr dr copper dr cooper in uh in the thing yeah i i, I feel like i i recognize his name more than i do his face but I, I the thing is like the only thing i would know him from oh so did i but as soon as i saw him i was like holy shit because i mean the th- i watched the thing probably like once a year, probably oh, more I've than I need to. Once, I, unfortunate, I, but I love I, it. It's a good I adore movie. the thing. Yeah, it's good. Um, so there you go. I mean, that is a yes from both of us, and not like a like a yes, not like a pop culture like we have to say yes, like Top Gun. Like this is a yes. Like go watch this movie. Yeah, we kind of we um, kind of copped out last week a little bit, didn't we? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Um, we has, we still had we still had replacements. Yeah. But um, which, by the I, way, Black Hawk Down is still like a great replacement for. Oh, thank like, you. That's that's a good one. Thank you. Um, so if I was wearing a hat. I would take it off. Well, I, 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 I they, same to you, my good friend. Um, so we definitely think that being there should be in the book. But as always, we want to know what you think. So please find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Let us know what you think of being there, and I don't know. Peter Sellers and Hal Ashbean, anything related to this movie. Um, uh, if you're listening, you're probably listening on iTunes and Google Play and Apple Podcasts and Spotify and those great places. Please like, comment, rate, review, all of those things. Um, it's all it's all useful. It is. We'll, we'll it really take is. All, we'll take all the feedback we can get. Um, and, and the interaction's great we have with you. So please um, let us know what you think. And until next time, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week. 